So let's go ahead and take a look at our, uh, our passage. We're looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. The Bible says that all men are like grass. And all of man's glory is like the flower. And then the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the Word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we uh, consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we, we pause for a moment to ask You to be here with us by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Father, we have to confess that nothing good here Uh, Nothing will happen that's good here uh, unless you cause it to be so. So, Father, we pray that uh, your word will do what it has promised, which is go out and accomplish its purposes. Would you open up our hearts to hear your word? Uh, Open up our minds to, to see and understand. Father, show us something of ourselves and our sin And more importantly, something of you and your grace and your mercy in Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Have you ever wondered why why there are four different accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible? It's what we call the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I wonder, have you you ever thought, why are there four of them? Why not just the the one account? Uh, And I think the answer is that each, each one of those Gospels gives a different perspective, so to speak, of the truth about who Jesus is and what He's come to do. Um, it'd be much like if, if you were going to have a book written about your life. Um, if you had your parents write a book, and maybe I as your campus minister, if I know you, and you had a couple of friends write about you, uh, those four accounts would give a more uh, well-rounded, sort of fully-orbed picture of who you are, right? Because each one is going to reflect their own personalities. 
Uh, you're going to be able to see their personality coming out in it. Uh, their relationship with you is going to be unique. And we're going to get a better picture. And I think that's why we have four different Gospels. Um, and you really do, if you've, if you've read through them, you, you can see the, uh, the, their personalities coming out. Um, listen to how the Gospel writers start their books. All right, so let's take Matthew. Matthew was a, uh, he, was, he was Jewish. He was a tax collector. Um, so they were, they were pretty shady people. But um, you can kind of think, you know, he's still into money and numbers. So he's sort of the accountant type, right? And his whole purpose is to convince his fellow Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That he's the one that the scriptures have pointed to. So listen to how he starts. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And, and he goes on for 17 verses, just like that. You're probably familiar with it. Um, all right, then Luke. Luke is a doctor, was a doctor, you know, dead now. Um, Luke was a doctor. And tell me if the big, this is how he starts his book. Tell me if this doesn't sound like a doctor, right? Very detailed, very precise, very calculated. This is how he starts. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, it seemed good to me also to write an orderly account. Right? Yeah. Sounds just like a doctor, right? All right. John. John is your more theological, philosophical, deep thinker. Right? Hang out at the coffee shop and have the conversations for a long time. That's more his flavor. Listen to how he starts. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Right? Yeah. They're all very different. You get the picture. So what about Mark? Because we're going to study through the Gospel of Mark this semester. Um, So, who is Mark? Well, Mark was the guy... He's the guy that you would probably have working with the youth group. Because he is... He's full of energy. He's got a lot of energy, and uh, everything about him is that he just he just moves fast. Um, as you read his book, it's the shortest. Um, the action just moves throughout Mark. He keeps it moving. You know, it's almost like you get the picture. It's like a little kid trying to tell you about some amazing experience that they had, right? And, and then this happened, and then we did this, and then we did that, and then we did this. That's how Mark comes across. Um, he focuses on Jesus' actions. His favorite word is immediately. You see it twice, I think at least twice in our passage. And look, not that the other gospel writers don't, but Mark seems to have this unique, wide-eyed wonder about Jesus. And that's the theme of our semester. right? You might have seen our flyer or our poster. Wide-eyed wonder. Because as you read through Mark, it's almost just infectious. He's so enamored with Jesus. It's like he's grabbing you by the hand and saying, you have got to come see this. And let me tell you about it. Jesus did this, and then then he did this, and then he did this. It's exciting. And so look, I think no matter who you are, if you're somebody that has already taken sort of into wide-eyed wonder with Jesus, or whether you don't know a thing in the world about Jesus, or, which may be a lot of us in this room, uh, you are a believer, you've grown up in the church, and you're a little bored with Jesus. 
Wherever you find yourself, I think this study through Mark is, is going to be great for you and for me. I've, I've really enjoyed studying through this uh, over the summer. So that's where, that's where we're going for this semester. Uh, we're going to see this wide-eyed wonder of Jesus. And tonight, in this first passage, uh, we, get, we get Mark's quick introduction to Jesus. So how does, how does Mark start his gospel? Well, he starts out with Jesus 30 years old, right? And he, he skims through the, basically he, uh, in the, you know, he says in the beginning or the beginning of the gospel, he seems to be making a reference to Genesis. And then he quotes Isaiah the prophet. So in like two verses, he's like, all right, yeah, Old Testament, Old, all right, now, Jesus, here we go. That's Mark. And so in this first passage that we have, he, he sort of lays out the groundwork for the whole book. And that's what we're going to look at briefly tonight. Um, we're going to look at, I want you to see three things about Jesus. First, we're going to look at what did Jesus come to do? Secondly, we're going to look at who is Jesus? And thirdly, how is Jesus going to do what he's come to accomplish? So, what did Jesus come to do? Who is Jesus? And how is Jesus going to do it? And I know it might seem like you would rather have who is Jesus first, but I think it's going to make sense better this way. Trust me. All right, so what did Jesus come to do? Uh, Again, uh, if I can point your attention to verse 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he calls... He calls Jesus Christ, which, uh, you know, you're, a number of you might be familiar with. Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. We end up using it that way, and in, in some ways it kind of becomes that, and that's certainly fine. Um, but it's actually a title. Uh, and so it means anointed one. Uh, it's the Greek word for the Old Testament, or the Hebrew word, uh, that, is, that we translate as Messiah. Messiah means the same thing, anointed one. All right, so what does that mean? What is the Messiah? Uh, So to begin really to understand who Jesus is and what he's come to do, we need to basically understand the history of the world, right? The Old Testament, which we're going to do in like 30 seconds, so don't don't worry about it. Um, So here's basically what the Old Testament's telling you. The Old Testament is saying, look, God created everything. There's a God who exists, and he created everything, uh, most particularly and beautifully people, and he created them perfectly. You know, he says it was very good. Uh, But uh, those people were put into paradise, and they were built to enjoy fellowship with God forever. But those people, and all people afterwards, including us, screwed it all up. Because those people uh, and we today, we rebelled against God. We rejected God. And everything about the world has been totally jacked up since then. But as soon as all of that, what the Bible calls sin, came into the world, God made a promise. And he essentially said, I'm going to fix it all. I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send a hero and fix it all. Because the problem is that it, the problem is manifold, right? We're not right with God. Uh, we don't trust Him. Uh, we think that He's keeping back good stuff from us, that He's out to get us. You can't trust Him. Um, we're at odds um, with each other, right? We don't trust each other. We care just about ourselves. 
by default. Um, that's why there's divorce. That's why there's war. Uh, and we're not right. We're not right with our with our own selves, right? We worry. We're fearful. We're self-destructive. Creation itself is not right. That's why there's things like tornadoes and uh, difficult work. That's why it's raining. You know, it's raining out our uh, cookout. Um, things like sunburns. Right? The creation itself is just messed up. There are evil people doing evil things. There's injustice. And I bet, I bet I don't have to, con- I know I don't have to convince you of that because if you just look around your own life or my own life from this last week, you've been at school for a week now. And I know that you feel the brokenness of this place, of, of this world, uh, very keenly. Some of you have probably come to school with a lot of hope and a lot of excitement and you're going to be, you know, amidst, what, 16,000 people, and you feel very alone. And you look around, you feel like everybody else has already got friends, but you don't. And, yeah, you feel the problem. Uh, you very well might already be sick and tired of your roommate, and at odds with them. I see some of you going, she's horrible. And that's fair. She probably is horrible. I'm sorry. Um, and I saw multiple of you, by the way, doing that. So if like, you're the one, like, can't believe you just called me out. I saw several people doing it. And I get it. Um, I have an awesome roommate. It's my wife, Amy. Love her. Um, yeah, you might be terribly homesick for your parents. You might be incredibly anxious about school. Um, yeah, you, you know the problem all too well. You, uh, here's another one. You might have already, with the newfound freedom of college, especially if you're, uh, you know, you're new with us, you might have already found yourself doing things that you a year ago would have sworn you would never do. But now you're freed up and in college and, it, and you find yourself in a new uh, uh, expanding your moral boundaries, I guess you could say. But God has promised to come and fix all of that. That's what the promise is about. Ever since sin came into the world, He says, I'm going to send the hero, and that's what He's going to fix. He's going to show up on earth, and He's basically going to bring the reign of God to this place and make it all right. And Mark is telling us, that's what Jesus is coming to do. What's Jesus come to do? Mark is saying, He's the Messiah. He's that guy. All the junk in the world and in your heart and in creation, He's going to fix it. Right? Just, just that alone is, will leave you, you know, with your, with your eyes wide with wonder, right? He's telling us that all these problems have an answer. And it's Jesus. And that, that's the good, Jesus is showing up with the good news that he's come to fix it. Um, it made me think of this uh, story, you know, think of stories when, when, when have you received some good news? Um, when I was, I don't know, sophomore, junior in college, I went, to, uh, went out to eat with one of my best friends, and we were just at some, you know, fast food restaurant. 
And the, uh, the girl was taking our order, and there was a worker behind her that was on the telephone. And she, the lady behind her was a lot older. I mean, she was in her like, late 50s, 60s maybe. And I just happened to look at her, and she looked terrible. I mean, like something was wrong with this lady. And I just kind of kept, you know, looking at her. And you could just tell, like, something's not right here. And sure enough, within, like, a minute, she's talking on the phone. This is back when you had phones that had cords on them. And it stretched all the way over the wall. She dropped the phone, and she fell off the stool that she was sitting on and just, boom, lays out on the ground. And so my friend and I go, you know, go around the counter, and we're standing over this lady, you know, kneeling down over her. And it's clear she's having some sort of, like, life-altering moment, right? Like, I don't know what it is, some sort of heart attack. That's what it turned out to be. But, yeah, she looks like she's dying. And so I'm squatting down over this lady with my friend. And look, so, yeah, there's obviously this huge problem. And here's how much I can help that, like, how much I can help her. Zero, right? I don't have a clue what to do. I mean, I have a clue what to do in that, like, I can call 911, which I did, right? Go get the phone with the cord on it, bring it over. And I call 911. And then I hear this, uh, I hear, you know, them eventually say, help is on the way. And I think, okay, good, because this lady needs it. And then I get this piece of good news, right? I hear guys come in the room and they say, Clear out, clear out. We're here now. We're going to help her. And I can just remember thinking, that is good news. Because I've got, well, I mean, this lady has this big problem. Right? We've got this big problem that I can't do anything to fix. And then the good news comes in that says, I'm here to fix it. I'm going to make it better. Right? That's just this little taste of what Jesus has come to do. I've come to fix it. You can scoot over. I'm going to make it all better. And, you know, she was fine, by the way. Sometimes I don't finish, I don't tell you the end of the story and people get upset with me. She's fine. Mark's telling us, yeah, the good news, that Jesus has come to fix all the problems. It's good news for us. uh, And we're going to come back to that. All right, second, the second thing I want you to see is, let's sort of narrow in and look at who, who is Jesus. Mark tells us actually a lot here in these few verses. Uh, several aspects. One, look at verse 1. It says, Jesus is the Son of God. Look, from the very first verse, Mark is telling you that this hero, who's going to be the one to come fix everything? And God is saying, it's going to be me. God himself comes to fix the problem. He doesn't send, he doesn't send a, you know, he doesn't outsource it. He comes himself and gets in the middle of it. And that's good news that God has showed up on the earth. Verse 7, John the Baptist, uh, he says that Jesus is mightier than he is. Right? He says, Jesus is mightier than I am. And he says, I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. Now, what's that all about? Um, that's reference to the, uh, the, what would have been customary in their day, and you might be familiar with this, of uh, washing people's feet, right? When Jesus you know, later is going to wash his disciples' feet. That's almost certainly what John's talking about. It was the lowest 
task you could possibly do. Because you walked around everywhere in sandals and it, your feet were disgusting. It, by Jewish law, Jewish slaves were prohibited from even, even having to do it. It was so beneath them. So there are even certain slaves that didn't have to do this. But notice what John's saying. John's saying, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. So if, for John to touch Jesus and untie his sandals would, would demean Jesus. That's how perfect he is. How amazing, how, how different he is. Right, and keep in mind who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist, now look, he was still a sinner. But John the Baptist was a really good dude. Okay? He was like the last sort of Old Testament prophet. He had dedicated his life to serving God. I mean, as far as people go, he's a very holy guy. And he recognizes that if I, if I touch you, I'm going to make you I'm going to make you dirty. That's how beautiful and different Jesus is. Verse eight, John says that um, John says that he's going to baptize. He baptizes people with water, but Jesus is going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Just think about that for a second. John uses the symbol, right? He uses water to show how um, how God can clean you from your sins. Jesus is so great. What's he going to use to clean you? The Spirit of God. Right? It's, a, it's amazing. It's jaw-dropping to think about it. We hear that stuff all the time, right? If you've grown up in church, well, he's going to baptize. Well, of course he's going to baptize. But think about it for just a second. He has the Holy Spirit at his disposal. Uh, last aspect. Um, when Jesus is baptized, when he comes up out of the water, verse 11, what happens? The voice of God the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So who is Jesus? Jesus is so perfect, so beautiful, so amazing, so different, that God Almighty looks at Him and says, I am, I am proud of this one. He, I love Him. That's how perfect He is. He's thrilled with Jesus because Jesus is so amazing. That's who he is. So thirdly and finally, we need to take a look at how does Jesus, how, is Jesus, how does Jesus accomplish what he's going to accomplish? How does he fix the problem, so to speak? Um, how is he going to get rid of evil and bring justice and make everything right in the world? And I want you to see this because this is amazing. Uh, all right, so did you notice in verse 8, look at verse 8, John the Baptist says that Jesus, Jesus is going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. But then when he shows up in verse 9, did you notice what happens? Right, Jesus doesn't baptize anybody. But actually, Jesus ends up getting baptized. And not just by anybody, but by a man, right, who just admitted, I'm not even worthy to touch you. And Jesus shows up and he submits himself to baptism. So what's going on with that? All right, well, think about what baptism is. I think we mentioned it just a second ago. But baptism is this sort of a living illustration 
of having, having your sins cleansed, right? Being clean, being washed with the water. Representative of being spiritually washed. But it's clear, I think, from this passage and certainly from the rest of the Bible that Jesus is perfect. So why does he... Why does he need to be baptized? Why does he need to have this illustration of being washed of his sins? Because he never has or will have any. So what's going on? And this is it. This is what I want you to see. What Jesus is doing is he is identifying himself with sinful people. He's putting himself. He is the perfect, sinless, amazing son of God. God himself in the flesh. And he is... He's coming and He's putting Himself in the place of me and you. He's taking the role of sinner. And He's being baptized. Right? This is how Jesus is going to fix the problem. Everything about Mark's Gospel is heading towards the cross. And that's what, right, that's what happens on the cross. Jesus is going to ultimately take on the, the position, the, the role of sinner. He's going to take our place. He's going to wear our sin. And He's going to take all the punishment that we deserve. So that you and I can go free. He's going to identify Himself with us. And it's really the only way that the hero can do that. It's the only way that he can bring justice and bring forgiveness. Because if he showed up and he brought justice, just I'm going to pay everybody back for what they've done wrong, then that means that me and you and every other person is done for. But he's going to do that, and he's going to bring forgiveness because he's going to take it himself. He's going to switch places. And look, this is beautiful. Typically, we stop there, right? When we think about the good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, we typically stop with Jesus died for our sins. That's absolutely true. It is unimaginably wonderful. But the good news is actually way bigger than that. Because Jesus doesn't just come and switch places with you in death. He switches places with you in life. He's not just going to take your sin. He's going to give you His righteousness. And that's actually what I think is going on here with his baptism. I think this points more uh, to the fact that he's going to give us his righteousness. Um, Yeah, in Matthew's account, uh, Matthew tells us that basically John argues with Jesus, right? And says, no, 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 this doesn't make any sense. How in the world could I baptize you? It should be the other way around. And this is what Jesus says. Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you see that? Because look, you and, I, you and I can't even be baptized rightly. Even our baptisms, as, as beautiful and holy and you know, wonderful as they are, even those are tainted in sin. And so Jesus comes and He gets baptized in your place so that He can give you credit for it. And it, you know, it just continues. Look at what happens next. Verses 12 through 13, the Spirit immediately drove him, there's the immediately word, drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Look, what, what is that all about? 
What happened in the wilderness, right? When you think wilderness, you think biblically, uh, it takes you back to uh, the Old Testament when um, God was leading his people out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? 40 years, he's here 40 days, you get some parallel going on, right? That was a huge time of testing of God's people in the, in the wilderness and how well did they do? Right? They failed miserably. It's just, it's embarrassing. If it wasn't true, it'd be embarrassing and, if, you know, and we can identify with it. Like the stuff that they do is just unbelievable. Jesus, you see, Jesus is taking the place of His people. He's going out into the wilderness. He's going to be tempted by Satan himself and where we fail... He succeeds. And He takes that perfection and He gives it to you. He gives it to you. And look, as we bring all this to a conclusion, I I want you to hear this. Um, It's because of who Jesus is and what He's come to do and how He's come to do it that there is a gospel Right, you've heard that word, that, that word, as I'm sure you know, it just means good news. And here's the deal. Here's what I want you to hear, if nothing else. The gospel, good news, it really is good news. Because I'm going to bet that a lot of us have grown up, um, you've come from a background where gospel doesn't really mean good news. And that really what it means is something like this. Um, Instead, what it means is try harder. Um, that, that you have the opportunity to get better. To, uh, to work harder at reading your Bible. And God will uh, accept you. Um, that, that if you just buckle down a little bit, you'll be able to get over whatever it is, what sin is in your life. And then you'll be living the, you know, the victorious Christian life. If you just wake up and read your Bible a little more, pray a little more, quit going to those places and hanging out with those people, and you know. And what I want you to see is that that's not good news at all. That's a, at best a good plan. If you do these things, God will love you. It's actually not a good plan, it's a bad plan because you can't do it. I can't do it. But the gospel actually is good news that comes along and says, look, the bad news is you can't do it. The good news is I've already done it for you. It's already accomplished. Everything about my life was perfect. I have a perfect spiritual resume and I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you for free. Uh, look, all right, so what does that mean? Um, I heard another campus minister, a friend of mine, say that he likes to ask his students this question sometimes. And so I want you to think about it. When God thinks of you, when you, when you come to God's mind, what expression is on his face? When God thinks about you, what expression is on his face? And he said, you know, the most common answer that I get is um, that people say, well, I mean, I, yeah, I know God loves me. I mean, he loves me, but I think, I think he's a little disappointed with me. I think he's, yeah. So it's not a frown, you know, it's not just total anger, but he's a little disappointed. And so his next question is, all right, well, what would it take for, that, for God's expression to change? What would it take from you 
What would it take for God to, uh, for his countenance to change? And almost invariably the answer is like, well, you know, I really need to um, do this better. I need to read my Bible more. I need to quit partying. I need to, you know, quit cheating in class. I need to stop looking at pornography. Something like that. And that's what's going to change it. And look, what I want you to hear is that the gospel comes along and says, actually, no, that's not right. The gospel comes along and says the good news is that you can have the the beaming smile of a father for free. That it's simply based on what Jesus has done for you. That you can't earn it. And so that means, look, I want you to hear this. That when Jesus came out of that water and God said, this is my son and I love him and I am so happy with him. That if you are a believer, that is exactly how God feels about you right now. Not kinda, not that's a decent illustration of, not that could be, that is exactly how God feels about you always. He is beaming with pride and love for you because you stand in Christ. Let me end with this thought. How do you get that? If that sounds great, you know, you think, all right, it sounds great, but how do you, how do I know that's true for me? How do I get it? What does Jesus say? Um, uh, in the end, basically, he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. What does repent mean? I almost made this sermon about two things, two, two definitions we misunderstand, gospel and repentance. Repentance means to turn from your sin and to turn to something else. And we typically think it means turn from your sin to doing the right thing, and it doesn't. Repentance means that you turn from your sin to Jesus. That's it. That'll play out in turning from your, you know, uh, doing the right thing, sure. But you turn from your sin straight to Jesus. You don't wait until you haven't done it for a few days, you know, and then turn to Jesus. You get to turn right then. Right in the midst of your filth. Right in the midst of our, our sin. And you get to know that you have the, the smiling face of a loving father. That's the good news. That's the great news. And I hope that you'll come back every week this semester and hear more about it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for good news. Forgive us for the ways that we don't hear it, the ways we pervert it. But we praise you and thank you for it. Father, would you um, make all of us uh, believe that good news? Um, We pray that that would be true of everyone here. And we ask in your name. Amen.